0: I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass.
1: The liturgy is what enculturates the Gospel
0: for us. What are you, some kind of
2: ultra boy?
1: And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang
2: exciting, huh? Yeah? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present the Liturgy Guys. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Hello
0: gentlemen. Whoa!
2: Hey. Well, Gen- oh, yeah. that's hey, no way Jesse. to talk about Chris.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's that beard that gives him away. Yeah, that beard. Uh-huh. You could be in a sideshow in a circus as the bearded lady, Chris. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's a woman. <laughs> oh, that's uh, my kids. That's from started- the
0: Simpsons, right? The Selma no. Mary's Troy McClure episode.
2: Uh, Well, I got it from the movie The Lorax, which my kids just started watching, which which they
0: love. What are we talking about today? Are you filled with the? Holy Spirit. Yeah, I hope so. Wait, did
2: I get it right? (laughs) You did,
0: but you didn't sound too filled with the Holy Spirit as you said Holy
2: Spirit. I was was unsure, that's why. It was
0: uncertainty, not lack of joy. Well, we have to have a little bit of callback, right? So we, we have been doing this sequence on liturgy from the catechism. So we did one on the basic intro, and then we're going through the three persons of the Trinity and their role in the, Holy, in the liturgy. Now, of course, as we've talked about in relation to hymns, that they're not kind of separate persons that are mere relations, but they do have, I don't know, how would you describe it, Chris? <laughs> Privileged? <laughs> I would placing. describe it as each
1: person works according to his own unique personal property. Oh, that's yes. exactly how I would say it, oh, because that's, that's just great. exactly how the trinities, the the catechism says it, is that, oh. yeah, it's not... Uh, oh, you're a you cheater. Know, <laughs> it, oh, yeah. It's not like once upon a time, God the Father was busy, and then he got tired, and then Jesus came and did his thing for a while, and then he went up to heaven, and then the Holy Spirit did his thing, uh, and this... So you're uh, saying piloted. there's
2: going to be a fourth uh, yeah. part of the trinity.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you can't divide up the... Tr- the all. Each person of the Trinity always acts together in creating, redeeming, and sanctifying, but each works according to his unique personal property, is how the Catechism says it somewhere in the first part. Yeah, right? it's the mystery,
0: right? How can it's you have yeah. three persons and yet be one? It's, we we can't wrap our brains around it, so we have to hang yeah. out in these areas of division.
2: Well, so yeah. so people can follow along. Where, what number are we going to start in the in the Catechism? We're so that we're
1: we're, we're going to start at ten ninety one. See the, okay. how how we started was, um, remember the definition of liturgy was the participation of the people of God in the work of God. And so the idea is, is that God, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit is, is, are, is, are, is. God is the... Both, uh, both Chris. <laughs> is the principal worker. And so we, we, we said, well, how does God the Father work? And then we said, well, how does God the Son work? And now we're about to see how God the Holy Spirit works in the Trinity, right? Because if we're called to participate in their work and we have no idea why it is that they do their work, or how it is that they go about their work, then we can't hope to be active, intelligent, uh, efficient participants in that work, right? So, yeah. Yeah, so God the Father, recall, how does God the Father work in, in the liturgy? Do you remember this? He's the source and goal. Mm-hmm. The, how the catechism puts it is in the larger, what they call the economy of salvation, the whole of salvation history, Father, Son, and Spirit work in a particular way. So, too, in the liturgy, they work in a similar way. So, God begins all things and all things come back to God. He's the source and goal. How does the Son work in the economy of salvation and, consequently, also in the liturgy? Through the paschal mystery, suffering, death, resurrection, and ascension. What he did 2,000 years ago, he still does today in the liturgy. So, now the question is, well, how does the Holy Spirit work not only in the larger economy of salvation, but more properly in uh, the liturgy. So that's where yes. we are at 1091.
0: That is the question, Chris. And I'm that looking at 1091. Is. And mm-hmm. sometimes I read the Catechism, and there's sort of breezy sentences, and I, I can't figure out what they're actually saying. So I'm going to. I filled me. out a
2: 1091 <laughs> before my taxes were due, I think. Were, oh, sorry, we're talking about 10, something yeah, else. Yeah,
0: 1099. That's a different one. <laughs> oh, Okay, well, let me know when we get there. Yeah. So what's 1091 all about there, Chris? Help me, help me, help me. Yeah,
1: this is, uh, you know, obviously we all have our uh, favorite uh, paragraphs from the catechism. Uh, this is one of mine. Mine I like is this the one. last
2: paragraph because it means I was <laughs> <The> finished. <end. laughs> <laughs>
1: 1091 says, in the liturgy, the Holy Spirit is teacher of the faith of the people of God, an artisan of God's masterpieces, the sacraments and the new covenant. Mm-hmm. I think that is such a great line that uh, um, the Holy Spirit is this great artisan, and His great work of art is uh, Christ present in the sacraments. And I think that's um, you know, maybe we've done podcasts on this before, like an ours Celebrandi, you mm-hmm. know, the art of celebrating. What the liturgy is trying to do is create this beautiful, I don't know, tapestry or mosaic of uh, of beauty rather than be like a classroom it's meant to convey through uh, beauty and it's this uh, work of art the the principal uh, artisan being the holy spirit not father bob or not you know the liturgist or not uh, the music director but the holy spirit is the principal artisan yeah. who creates this masterpiece and you
0: Sabbath. have a thing against father bob don't you you're, you're uh, father bill you know, father bill bob whatever <laughs> nothing <laughs> personal father bob some bills out there <laughs> yeah. Uh, it
1: continues. though, the de- the desire and work of the Spirit. Now that's uh, that's a word I have want, uh, circled as work. Remember what liturgy is? Is laos and ergia. It's work. Yeah. Father works. The Son works. The Holy Spirit works. They are the principal workers. And people work too. Don't forget them, Chris. Well, we're the co-workers, right? Yeah. Yeah. As members so, of the
0: body of Christ. Yeah.
1: The desire and work of the Holy Spirit in the heart of the church is that we may live from the life of the risen christ this next this is another great line jesse listen to this one
2: i've been listening the whole time no No, you're not i can tell by the look on your face you're doing something else texting kim or something or what we are corporate co-workers do you want me to pick up milk on the way (laughs) home or anything no i wanted you to pick up that attitude okay throw
1: it away all right so this line in 1091 i i just i think is almost funny when the Spirit encounters in us the responsive faith which He has aroused in us, He brings about genuine cooperation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when the Spirit encounters in us what He's already given to us, there's
0: genuine cooperation.
1: Yeah. <laughs> He's doing everything, basically.
0: I could We're imagine that might be like a parenting thing, right? So Jesse, you have little kids. You want them to clean their room <laughs> and they don't want to. And you turn it into a game or you try to make it fun or you offer them a reward and then they feel like do doing it. Do not
2: reveal my secrets.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> but then you see in them this desire to to joyfully do whatever you're asking. And then you respond to that. And then um, this co- genuine cooperation happens, right? This is what happens yeah. with you and Marguerite all the time, Chris, right?
1: Well, I think she it's knows some how of she? <laughs> you know, I think I can say this because my family doesn't listen to this podcast. But you know, like Christmas time, mm-hmm. like so, you give your kid five bucks or something. So that your kid can buy you a gift or whatever it is, oh, and that's yeah. genu- genuine cooperation. That's what I think is going on here with the Holy Spirit.
2: Wait a minute! I'm gonna have to do that. That's a thing. <laughs> well,
1: hey, it's not all bad. You can your Wait, kids can I gotta give me some give
2: great my, gifts. I gotta give my kids <laughs> some money for them to buy me a gift that I'm not gonna like. I, yeah, I don't enough. know. About, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, let's, let's go on 1092. This is a, this is a great one because this is kind of the mini table of contents for how the Holy Spirit works in the liturgy. Ooh. So it says here, uh, and there's four things to listen for. In the sacramental dispensation of Christ's mystery, that is in the whole in the sacraments, mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit acts in the same way as at other times in the economy of salvation, right? So, this is what uh, I was saying earlier is uh, Father, Son, and Spirit work in a particular way in the entire economy Ooh, of salvation. Yeah. And it's kind of tailored or applied uh, in a more particular way in the liturgy. But this is how the Spirit works. One, He prepares the church to encounter her Lord. Two... Right. He recalls and makes manifest to the faith of the assembly, makes Christ manifest to the faith of the assembly. Three, by his transforming power, he makes the mystery of Christ present here and now. And fourth and finally, The spirit of communion unites the church to the life and mission of Christ. So Mm -hmm. how does the Holy Spirit work in the economy of salvation and in the liturgy? It's these four principal ways, which the rest of these next paragraphs will go on to unpack.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like Pentecost, but now extended out in time, right? Sort of makes the church, makes these things, understanding, prepares. Everything he did in scripture now just happens kind of microcosmically in the liturgy, I guess. Precisely, precisely.
1: And the, the four things are prepares for Christ, manifests Christ, presents Christ, and unites Christ. That's what he does in the big picture. And as you say, Dennis, kind of in an intensive way in the liturgy, those four things. That's his job description in a certain way. I like it. Way to go, Holy Spirit. Yay,
2: good job. Artisan of God's masterpieces. The one thing that you're
0: good at, Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. Arian. Anyway. Hey, I hate
2: I don't write hymns for the church, so I'm okay with. Yeah, you're good. Uh,
1: <laughs> okay, so so the first thing: how does the Holy Spirit prepare for the reception of Christ? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it seems that uh, uh, I think somebody asked me this once upon a time. You know, why did why did God wait to send the Redeemer like all those thousands of years later? Why didn't He do it like you know the next afternoon or something, or later that day, or the next weekend? And it's because our first parents were not prepared to receive him. They weren't prepared to hear the Logos again. And so it took the Holy Spirit had all this time in salvation history in the time of the promises and the time of the old covenant to prepare uh, for God to send his word again. So maybe your parents said this to you or you say it, Jesse, to your kids. I'm only going to say this one more time and you and better they say be listening. it 20 more times. Well, but it's it's what God the Father almost saying, I'm only going to send my word, say my word one more time. You better be prepared to receive him. And so that's what the Holy Spirit does in the economy of salvation. Well, that's what he does in the liturgy as well. He prepares hearts to receive Christ. And he does this the catechism will say at uh, 1094 in uh, through different typologies Yeah. Prefigurements. So unpacking those. You know what a typology is?
0: I know, but you know, there's these precise answers, but it's basically a prefiguring pattern that gives a bit of information, but then it gets fulfilled in Christ. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So if Christ is the figure or the sort of prototype, or the reality of of the liturgy and of salvation history, then those things that come before are prefigures or foreshadows or types of that reality. And so they existed all throughout um, the old covenant. So, you know, earlier on the catechism, we'll talk about, uh, you know, the, the flood in Noah and the ark is a type of the church. And the flood is a foreshadowing of baptism and the eight people in the ark uh, are a uh, a type of uh, new life and things like that that are all fulfilled in Christ and yeah. so the liturgy is filled with these foreshadows and prefigurements and uh, types and so uh, they're, they're they occur all throughout the liturgy and this is one of the ways the Holy Spirit uh, uh, prepares hearts and the other one this is at uh, 1098 I think is uh, or Maybe it's somewhere else. It's in the, in the liturgy of the word is that uh, through reading the Old, uh, uh, Old Testament
0: readings, uh, the Holy Spirit prepares for the coming of Christ. Right. And that's something interesting. We kind of think, oh, I have the faith and I'm going to go and it's my will, but that God has already placed in you a desire to go to church, to understand who He is, to relate to Him, to offer yourself, to participate. That Holy Spirit has made that possible. And then the Holy Spirit works with that cooperation to make it real. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That, uh, that, that, I suppose it's a, uh type of Pelagianism that you can do this on your own but you know the Holy Spirit prepares hearts even that's that kind of pseudo it's not a pseudo cooperation but what I thought was funny is that uh, you know the Holy Spirit prepares a response in us so that when he comes to us there can be genuine cooperation like 1098 says the Holy Spirit prepares our hearts to receive Christ anyway that's one of the ways in which the Holy Spirit uh,
0: works yeah, and actually 1097 hits a point that, you know, is yeah. always important to me that the members of the mystical body who are acting as Christ and relating to Christ, they have to be joined together in some way. You know, we hear about this hierarchical arrangements of members of the, of the body of Christ, you know, head and members and different members of different functions and all that. Well, if they're not working together in right relationship, not loving each other and forming this whole community, then they're not going to be able to manifest the action of the mystical body. And so that the Holy Spirit is assembling them and allowing them to um, gather into that one body. And what it says here is it transcends racial, cultural, social, and all human affinities, right? So God, and particularly the Holy Spirit, unites all these people to act as Christ and then relate to Christ.
1: All right. Should we go on to the second way the Holy Spirit works? Yes. Yeah,
2: so, if the Holy Spirit recalls the mystery of Christ, we're at ten ninety nine, and I need to recall my social security number yeah, ten ninety nine so that I can get no, all my Justin, tax stuff right. This
1: is not this is not a uh, tax preparation podcast.
2: <laughs> it's not quite that dull. But
0: you know, oh, why I hate man. that number because you give a talk or you do a little something and you get a thing called ten ninety nine. M-I-S-C, miscellaneous income. Mm -hmm. And of course, I never prepay my taxes. So whenever I see a 1099 MISC, it's like, oh, I'm going to have to pay this to the IRS. Let's Mm -hmm. reform that image in my mind, Chris. Okay. Uh, Let's see. Why don't we just start
1: with the text at 1099, uh, which, as Jesse said, it's called the Holy Spirit recalls the mystery of Christ. So uh, the text says the spirit and the church cooperate to manifest Christ and his work of salvation. So again, the, the second thing, this is about the manifestation of Christ through recollection, okay? Uh, the Spirit and the church cooperate to manifest Christ and his work of salvation. There's that word again, aragon, work, which is the Paschal mystery in the liturgy. Primarily in the Eucharist, and by analogy, the other sacraments, the liturgy is the memorial of the mystery of salvation. The Holy Spirit is the church's living memory.
0: I love that line, the church's living
1: memory. Well, you think about, uh, especially Dennis, as you get older. And, and you don't. I mean, you and, you know, just you generally. <laughs> you guys it's, are so old. It's, oh. so, it's so hard to, it's harder and harder to remember things, isn't it? You know, the it's kind of the memory starts to get uh, numbed and deadened. But the church's, yeah. church's uh, the, the spirit rather, is the church's living memory. And in fact, it's so powerful that when the church remembers something with the Holy Spirit, that past reality, Becomes present in the here and now.
0: Anamnesis, baby. Anamnesis, yes. one one zero three. Take it away. Oh well. Anamnesis, we've talked about before. I remember. I don't know who taught me this word. It might have been you, Chris. But when that was it, was first, it me? It wasn't you. It was before I knew you. Okay. S- sadly, there was a time before I knew you, Jesse, <laughs> but, um This remembering that makes real and effective that which is remembered. So it's not just ho hum. George Washington crossed the Delaware in a boat. And whatever. The anamnetic remembering makes real and present and active again, and therefore does what is remembered. And uh, apparently the Holy Spirit makes this possible, Chris. Is that is that your claim? Yeah. Yeah. The, I,
1: I learned most my anamnesis stuff from uh, our good friend, Dr. Fagerberg.
0: Fagerberg, yeah.
1: And uh, he, I think you would recall these conversations that Moses had with, uh, as a type or foreshadow or prefigurement, that Moses would have with God on, say, Sinai, and, you know, they're both kind of talking each other, uh, you know, off the ledge, so to speak. They're tired with this this project and this people uh, already. And uh, I think this is after the golden calf uh, episode and God the Father says, you know, I'm just going to wipe out this people and start all over with you. And what Moses says to him is, remember. Your covenant. Remember your covenant. And it's not like God. Uh, for God. Yeah, forgot. For God. It, what he means is make that past memory present and active today. And renew that covenant. Renew, renew the covenant. And so, um, again, I I think uh, the word that J, that Jesus uses at the Last Supper is do this as an anamnesis of me. So every time you celebrate it, the 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 cross will be present in the Mass in the liturgy. And so, I mean, you personally, individually, can remember you know Good Friday. But when the Holy Spirit shows up as the church's living memory and she remembers the Good Friday cross through the Last Supper and things like that, that actually becomes present. It's not some distant, dead, past memory, but is present before your very believing eyes today. Right.
0: And I think, too, you know, when we talk about tradition, with a capital T, there's a lot of Suspicion and doubt about that. Oh well, the apostles just you know inserted things in the text, or how could they remember this ninety years later, hundred fifty years later? Is the is the scripture valuable, or has the you know the liturgy just sort of devolved over time? And you have to keep in mind the Holy Spirit's keeping that memory alive and also making it new. What, you know what new times uh, would bring. So because the Holy Spirit is the living memory, we can trust the inherited tradition liturgically and also. Scripturally, yes. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of paragraphs in this section
1: um, that we're kind of breezing through, but hopefully we're giving you the, the substance. But maybe this very last line at uh, 1103, the Holy Spirit who thus awakens the memory of the church then inspires thanksgiving and praise.
0: And so yeah. it's the Holy
1: Spirit that awakens that uh, that memory.
0: Yeah, imagine one of your kids one day, either of you, says, Dad, I remember when I was five years old, and you, you know, beat the heck out of me because I was—I <laughs> mean, gave me that bicycle. I knew you loved me, so thank you for doing that. You, yeah, Chris is like, no, I don't give my kids bicycles. That may, or say you write to your third grade teacher, right? Oh, you know, I, I learned such valuable lessons from you. So thank you. See so how yeah, it inspired the memory inspires this Thanksgiving, and praise. shout
2: out to Mrs. Pierce.
0: Yeah, Thanks. Mrs. Edna Haberman was my third grade teacher. She was awesome. She used to come in in these mink coats all the time. She was
2: Chris, so you did third grade twice. So what were both of those teachers' names?
0: <laughs> I can't remember. Same, same teacher. I have, I,
2: I
1: have, uh, uh, I've negated my memory and have amnesia, so I cannot remember. But Dennis has
2: anamnesis because he can remember. Oh, my
0: gosh. When I think of Mrs. Haberman, it's like it comes back this day
2: my third grade teacher was Anna diplosis. Mm-hmm. you called it you called her anna it's Miss diplosis it's oh that's Ms. right diplosis. that's right
1: <laughs> all right funny guys let's go on to the next one uh the so the first way the holy spirit works is by pr- preparing hearts to receive christ the second way is by manifesting christ through the liturgy of the word and through the anamnesis the third way that the holy spirit works what does it say Makes present uh, the mystery actually, of Christ. Yeah, actually makes present through
0: epiclesis. Dennis, what is epiclesis? Well, that's that prayer when they call down the Holy Spirit and mm-hmm. uh, and the liturgy. And I know we did, didn't we do some etymology of the word? We epiclesis? Did do you remember what it
1: is, either of you?
0: Uh, epi is like the, uh, the top, surface, right? So, you know. Yeah,
1: top surface upon, like your epidermis or something mm-hmm. like that, or what's it? Yeah, like that.
2: And clesis is the Holy
1: Spirit, right? No, klesis <laughs> is... Call, it, it also means like... Oh, uh, call, another, yeah, kaleo. Yeah, it's a call. Yeah. yeah, so an epiclesis is a calling upon. Uh, an ekklesis is a calling out. That's a church. Oh, yeah. um, not to give this one away, but I learned this etymology this week. is a paraclesis is a calling next to, calling beside, the paraclete. So an epiclesis is a calling upon. And, you know, in the and so, some of these again types, prefigurements, foreshadows of the Holy Spirit in the Old Covenant are clouds, dew, rain, shadows, things like that. So, like the, the, the tent of meeting, Dennis, when it's all erected, what happens? The Holy
0: Spirit dwells fire and smoke and fire lightning. Fire and
1: smoke, yeah, the cool presence stuff. of God. Yeah. When, uh, uh, when the Blessed Mother asks how this will uh, take place, since she does not know man, the Holy Spirit will over shadow, shadow things like that. And so, in the uh, in the just like he hovered
0: over the waters,
1: increase like he hovered over uh, the waters, waters hovers in over this new
0: creation.
1: Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, just like the pillar of cloud, he he led the chosen people out of the uh, the, the promised
0: land. Do so you like this, Jesse? River. How we're trying to one up each other with our biblical <laughs> typological images? Oh yeah! Bam! Bam! Yeah, I see your pillar of cloud, and I'll give you a pillar of fire. All right. So at
1: 11, uh, let's see, 1104, the Christian liturgy not only recalls through anamnesis the events that saved us, but actualizes them, makes them actually present. The Paschal Mystery of Christ is celebrated, not repeated. Okay. Ding, ding, ding.
0: That's important, isn't it? Why? Because there's a pre-existing eternal act called the Mystery of Christ, the Sacrifice of Christ, the Offering of Christ, Christ with the Father, the Calling Down, the Raising Up. And so when we celebrate the liturgy, we're not doing it again. We're not saying, okay, we'll kill Jesus again in sacramental form. We're saying we are actually participating in that one eternal act that's going on and on and on and on and on. And so it can be made present rather than repeated. And this is a kind of classic trope in a lot of Reformation era theology about the sacrifice is done. How can you offer the sacrifice again? Well, we're not offering it again. We're participating, making it present again and participating in it.
1: Uh, 1105, it says uh, the epiclesis or invocation upon is the intercession in which this priest begs the father to send the spirit, the sanctifier, so that the offerings may become the body and blood of Christ and that the faithful by receiving them may themselves become a living offering to God. Together mm-hmm. with the anamnesis, the epiclesis is at the heart of each sacramental celebration. So every sacrament has an epicletic. Uh, element where the priest or the bishop will extend his hand. That's how you can kind of sacramentalize yeah, that. But the
0: palms are usually down, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's this calling down of uh, the Holy Spirit upon the man to be ordained to the priesthood or uh, the person to be confirmed or anointed
0: or or the know, bread right? and wine, right? That, that's Absolutely. an act. Just, and sometimes if they're if they're using bells, in your parish you will hear bells at the epiclesis. Uh, yeah. The Epicles. yeah.
1: But that's the third way the Holy Spirit works. He uh, prepares, he recalls, and uh, uh, manifests, he uh, actualizes through the epiclesis. And the fourth thing at 1108 is the Holy Spirit uh, unites uh, the church in the celebration of the liturgy, just as once upon a time he kept uh, integrated and united uh, the house of Israel.
0: You know, the Holy Spirit, according to the catechism, is pretty sappy. It's a big sap. It says it right there. It's kind of funny, but it's also kind of awesome. The Holy Spirit is like the sap of the Father's vine, which bears fruit on its branches. Isn't that amazing? So if the Father. I thought you were a,
2: joking, but yeah. Yeah, you're well, right. I was,
0: but it's also true. You know, if Christ wow. is the vine, right? And he's planted by the Father, so to speak, but not to limit them to these roles, but you know. Well, what is the life giving quality if you're connected to that? vine well it's the, it's the holy spirit so you could be made and you could have all your form you know all your blood vessels but if you're empty of blood you would say well you're not really alive so the blood makes you alive and the yeah, you Spirit's need like you need uh,
1: an anima an animator a spirit to come into your to your body to come into the vine and to, mm-hmm. uh, uh, to make it bring it to life right and that's what the spirit does but again i think some of the maybe in the larger parts of the catechism, you see the Holy Spirit constantly, you know, warding off uh, danger, those things that would uh, seek to destroy the uh, the house of Israel. So like those who are worshiping the golden calf, you know, are slain by uh, the Levites or those who are uh, throwing the chosen people into a panic uh, prior to entering uh, the promised land, you know, are struck down, things like that. So there's this constant kind of purification and, you uh, Um, Unifying of the house of Israel. And now, too, and the thing is that the Holy Spirit acts in a similar way in the church. When you go together to celebrate the liturgy, it's meant to, if we'll let it, uh, unify the church. And this is the large part, the work of the Holy Spirit.
0: Mm -hmm. And if you don't have it, what happens? I mean, there are people now protesting this and that. And they're setting up statues of Baal and Baphomet, who are these ancient (laughs) Old Testament era, false gods, demons, right? And now if you're not baptized into this life, if you're not living the life of the Holy Spirit, suddenly these false ideas start to divide the community and false gods. So in case you think, well, I haven't felt the Holy Spirit kind of kicking me lately, just keep in mind, you're going to mass, you desire the sacraments, you want to know, you're feeling united with your Christian brethren, your family members with God. That's the Holy Spirit working in you. I agree. This is a very
1: difficult one. I mean, people are who are going to Mass, you know, throughout these pandemic times. You know, they're anxious and they're, you know, angry or upset. You know, they're upset at the priest for, you know, doing this or that. The priest is upset that the music director is singing too much. The people are mad because they're singing these uh, doctrinal unsound hymns or whatever it is. And so, Mass really very easily can become a source of fraction and division when it's meant to be, through the cooperation with the Holy Spirit, a real... Uh, unifying experience, but it doesn't work like magic. The Holy spirit will do most of the heavy lifting, but he requires us to be a part
0: of it. Mm -hmm. So So that's how, you know, you're in the spirit is you're not only there, but hopefully there joyfully, even when it's a challenge. So there you go. Anyway.
1: So again, like it said at 1092, there's four principal ways. The Holy spirit acts. He prepares, he manifests through the uh, anamnesis. He presents through the uh, epiclesis and he, Unite. so now you know how god the father works in the liturgy god the son works in the liturgy and god the holy spirit works in the liturgy and now we can successfully co-operate with these workers
0: yeah nice recap chris let's go Thanks. to the videotape well that's a little, <laughs> that's an old reference <laughs> all right
1: so if you want to go back and uh uh read this this is uh numbers 1091 through 1112 in the Catechism.
2: Mm-hmm. So, so then, uh, you know, are we going to continue to go to the sacraments portion? Um, oh, of course, we are. Yeah. Or, okay.
0: Great. Yeah, because the Paschal Mystery operates with these persons of the Trinity and the liturgy and so on. Now we're actually going to talk about them in future upcoming episodes. Great. Well, let's uh, let's go to a liturgy question. Yes. So, why
1: go to the Liturgical Institute? Well, if you want to serve the Church and do liturgical studies from the heart of the church, you won't find any place quite like this. This place is faithful to the magisterium, but it's a dynamic orthodoxy, not dry. And at the same time, it not only makes the faith come alive, it also empowers you to help that be the experience for others as well. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Hahn, and I want to warmly recommend the Liturgical Institute for your consideration. Pray about going and studying and sharing the richness of our living tradition.
0: Mail call! Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone?
2: All right, guys, this question comes from Rudiger. Rudiger! And Rudiger says, Many masses I've been to lately have not had the sign of peace because of COVID. The priest does not say... Let's offer each other a sign of peace and moves on, but people turn to each other and wave and make the sign of the peace anyway. Is this proper? Or if they have not been invited to make the sign of peace, should they refrain? And then it says, sent from my iPhone, please forgive me, autocorrect, if autocorrect makes mistakes.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right, well, Rudiger. <laughs> you know, whoever this Rudiger is, I feel, I feel your pain because... I see this happening, and I was home visiting my mom in the parish I was going to. The priest was actually giving people time to do this, even though he didn't say, "Let us offer each other the sign of peace." He wasn't moving on to the unused day, so there was a lot. It was actually pretty substantial sign of peace. This was not sitting well with me, Chris, because, and I want you to confirm what you think, what I'm thinking, or deny that the invitation of the members to offer the sign of peace has to come from the head, and if the head's not asking that, then they shouldn't be doing it. That's my gut. What do you think, Chris? Well, I'm not really sure. I've not thought about that before.
1: What you say makes sense. I mean, the theology of the sign of peace is that it's an encounter with the Paschal Christ principally in one's neighbor. I think that's at least – didn't we do a podcast on this once? In the – there that there's two kind of uh, – there's an Eastern and a Western kind of theological, I don't know – Uh, train of thought. The one is that it's principally about reconciliation with one's uh, neighbor before you bring your gifts to the altar. And so in some places, the sign of peace is before the offertory, before you bring your gifts to the altar. But I think when we did that podcast, they were saying that's not uh, principally our way of thinking about it in the West. Rather, it's about an encounter with the Paschal Christ. And so remember these things called like pox boards that apparently they used to do where... There, Christ would be on the altar, and I think the priest would maybe even kiss not only the altar but uh, the consecrated host. I might be getting this wrong. Then he kisses this board, and it's passed along to the people.
2: Yeah, pass, so, pass, peace, so peace, 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 uh, peace.
1: <laughs> so our tradition is this. This I'm getting around to your point, Dennis. Is that yes, in our tradition in the West, it's an encounter with kind of Christ the head, and so. Again, you read rubrics, and that's one thing. But I think what's interesting is trying to get behind them and well, why is it that they say what they do? And I think uh, that might be so- somewhat of a specula- speculative, speculative yeah, that's uh, right. answer to uh, to that rubric is that yeah, the it's the peace of Christ, the Paschal Christ, that's
0: emanating from the altar and into the members. So and that right, and this is an. You know, it's covered in 154, paragraph 154 of the general instruction. And I I think this is one of those things that the general instruction in the Roman Missal could never foresee, right? That the the people (laughs) making the sign of peace without being invited to do so. Um, So it does not forbid it explicitly or say only if the priest offers. And it's actually interesting to say, because I think a lot of people don't know, it says, when appropriate, the priest adds, let us offer each other the sign of peace. So it's not a mandatory thing. And if yeah, he doesn't say it, then you don't do it, right? Yeah, yeah. In the
1: order of mass itself, this is at 128, it says, uh, after the priest says, the peace of the Lord be with you always and with your spirit, then it says at 128, if appropriate, the deacon or priest adds, let us offer each other a sign of peace.
0: Right. And then, of course, the larger question is before the current missile, what we call the extraordinary form now, um, the priest would actually kiss the altar, receive the peace from Christ, and then mm-hmm. pass it on, very much the way we get sort of the – fire from the vigil at the Easter uh, Paschal candle and then we pass it on through the little candles from one person to the next and so imagine if there were no Paschal candle and everybody just lit their own candles you'd say oh, something's not right there so that's you know not in the law per se but it seems to be kind of foreign to the nature of the liturgy to have the members talking to each other without the invitation of the head
2: Alright Rediger. I hope that answers your question It's Excellent really question it. Rediger. It answered the question I didn't know that I had until now, so that helps. And uh, if you want to ask us a question, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com or tweet us at Liturgy guys. Thank you guys so much. This has been very fruitful. And uh, as always, God bless.
0: The Liturgy Guys is brought to you by the Liturgical Institute at the University of St. Mary of the Lake, Adoremus, Society for the Renewal of the Sacred Liturgy, and the Center for Beauty and Culture at Benedictine College. Now that's a podcast.